Mark chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 31, and I'm just going to read several verses here, and Jared will track along with me. If you're ready, say, oh yeah. oh yeah. If you want me to preach short so we eat some ice cream, say amen. All right, here we go, Mark 7 and verse 31. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. Now, I want you to, to, in a minute here, get a visual of this because it's hard to imagine what I'm saying here. When I say Jesus left Tyre, went to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee because he took a very unusual route. Somebody say unusual. He took a very rare route. Now, let me make a correction on something I said last week. Jared, pull up that map that you see of Tyre and Sidon. I want you to see this map here. I don't have any kind of laser pointer, so you'll just have to take a look at it. I made a comment last week that was not accurate, and I want to apologize about that. I meant the region of uh, Phoenicia, and I meant the region of Tyre and Sidon, but I said that Tyre was the most northern part that Jesus ministered in, and it's not actually the case. He actually, this was the most northern region, but Sidon was actually further north. Well, Pastor, why is that important? Nobody remembers what you said last week, because I remember what I said last week, and I want it to be right. Can I have an amen? And so let me show you this here. Jesus went from Capernaum, he went all the way down to Tyre, and then instead of turning around and coming back, he took a detour. He went out of his way. Look at your neighbor and say, he went out of his way. This is very important. Some scholars believe he went 50 to 75 miles out of his way. So he goes from Tyre, goes all the way up north to Sidon, and then all the way back down instead of the normal route. Why did he do that? Because he had a very important divine assignment. He had a very important divine appointment. Go back now to Mark chapter 7, and let's pick up in verse 32, and let's find out why Jesus took this detour, and he went out of his way. And I'm just going to encourage you this morning. Jesus goes out of his way for you. Jesus will go out of his way to reach me and to reach you, and we thank God for that. It says, a deaf man with a speech impediment, was brought to him. And the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man and to heal him. Verse 33, Jesus led him away from the crowd. I want you to see this. Is, this is very intriguing. Jesus pulled him aside. Scripture teaches here he led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. And then this is just a little note here that I put. Jesus always maintains our dignity. We don't know why Jesus chose to isolate this man and to pull him aside. But we can be assured that Jesus always maintains our dignity. He never wants us to feel bad about coming to him or receiving from him. And so notice here, this is, this is really interesting. He put his fingers into the man's ears. How many know you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but don't pick your friend's nose. Can I have an amen? I've just been waiting all week to do that. So he put his fingers in the man's ears and then spitting on his own fingers. Somebody say, ooh, he touched the man's tongue. Now, I'm a germaphobe, and I'm a recovering germaphobe. That's what I like to say. But you know what? If it, it, if it comes down to me speaking and hearing, spit on me all that you like, okay? Spit on me all you wish. But this is an unusual method that Jesus used to heal this man. Now, going down to verse 34. Looking up to heaven, he sighed, which, and he said this, Ephesus, which means be open. Somebody say, be open. He said, be opened, and it says in verse 35, instantly the man could hear perfectly. See, his healing wasn't halfway. He wasn't halfway restored. Instantly the man could hear perfect. 
And I, I put this in my notes. We don't know how long this man had been deaf. We don't know how long this man had been mute. But what a beautiful thing if the very first words the man heard were of Jesus. And there's an even greater miracle here. Let's assume the man had been deaf from birth. How did he even know what was being said? His mind was completely restored and a language was almost downloaded in his body almost at an instant. How many know when Jesus does something, he does something. And so I can assume this morning maybe the first words this man heard were the very words of Jesus. Verse 35, instantly the man could hear. His tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. We'll go down to verse 37. Everyone was completely amazed and said, he does everything wonderful. He does everything well. He does everything excellent. It's what that original word in the Greek means. He does it with excellence. He did this wonderful thing. He did it well. He even makes the deaf to hear, and he gives speech to those that cannot speak. Now, let me just talk to you for just a minute about this passage before we get into Mark chapter 8. A couple of things here that I want you to see and that I want you to notice. Number one is Jesus, remember many times uh, we saw the Syrophoenician woman. He said, go, your daughter is healed. We see Jesus many times speaking. We see Jesus many times laying hands on. We see Jesus spitting in the mud. We see Jesus licking his finger. That's what you call supernatural wet willy, praise God. We see Jesus licking his finger and putting it on the man's tongue. And this is what I want you to get this morning. This is for all the church folk in the house. How many of you have been involved in, around church for quite a while? How many of you have seen a lot of trends? You've seen a lot of changes? Listen, let me, let me explain this to you, I believe, from the heart of the Lord, because this is where we have to go as a church if we want to stay relevant. The reason I believe that Jesus did so many different methods to heal people and to minister to people is because he didn't want us hung up on the method. The method is not sacred. The method is not holy. Now, we may have done this a certain way. We do it this way. We've always done it this way. My great-great-grandfather did it this way. And we become like the Pharisees that Pastor Randy talked about. And we feel like our method is what is holy and our method is what is sacred. Even me as a young man, a young minister, I've been in church all my life. I came out of the, the womb with a Bible in my hand, praise God. I understand church. I know how church works I've seen just about everything you can see happen in churches. But even in, within my own self, it's so tempting for me to get locked into a method. But the methods are not sacred. What is sacred? The message. Say this when we say, the message never changes. We will never water down the gospel. We will never water down the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We will never water down, you must repent and be born again. We will never water down the power of God that is available to you. But the package that we put that message in must continue to change or continue to adapt or we will cease to be a relevant body of believers. How many of you shopped at Kmart in the last week? Do you know why you've not shopped at Kmart in the last week? Because they're all closed. No offense if you own stock in Kmart. I would sell it now, praise God. No, no offense against Kmart, but Kmart did not keep up. And churches, if we do not adapt the package, we put the message in, we won't reach the next generation. I don't know about you, but I want my kids to love to come to church. I want, when I have grandkids one day, I want them to love to come to church. And so we must continue to adapt our methods to reach people for the Lord. Now, let's look at Mark chapter 8. I want you to jump in here. We're going to travel through a few verses, and then we're going to bring some clarity. All right, Mark chapter 8, let's look at verse 1. About this time, another large crowd had gathered, and people ran out of food again. Somebody say, uh-oh. 
Now, Jesus has already fed the 5,000 men. We read that a few chapters on back in Mark. This is another example of mass feedings. How I many of you are hungry? It's a good idea to hang around Jesus. Praise God. And so Mark chapter 8, verse 1, another large crowd gathered. Jesus called his disciples and told them, look what he said in verse 2. I feel compassion for these people. I feel sorrow for these people. Uh, I'm concerned. I have sympathy for these people. They've been here all three, three days, and they have nothing left to eat. Verse 3, if I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way. For some of them have traveled a long distance. They've come a long distance. Now jump down to verse 6. You know the story. There's seven loaves, a few little fish. Jesus does the same thing he did when he fed the 5,000. He duplicates that miracle. I want you to see this. Jesus told the people, verse 6, sit down on the ground, took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples. They distributed the bread to the crowd. Verse 7, there were a few small fish. Jesus blessed those. They distributed them. Look at verse 8. This is what I wanted to get to this morning as a part of our teaching. Verse 8 says this. Mark chapter 8. Can you jump down, Jared, to verse 8? They ate as much as they wanted. They ate as much as they wanted. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. Verse 9. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Can somebody say amen to God's word? So we see this miracle of this mass feeding again, and there's one word, one word that sticks out to me louder than any other. There's one word that jumps off the page and into my heart as I read these passages. What would compel Jesus to go all the way up from Tyre, all the way to Sidon, and 50 to 75 miles on foot, or maybe on a donkey? Have you ever ridden a donkey? 50 miles is a long trek on the donkey. Dear me, what would cause Jesus to go out of his way? What would cause Jesus to multiply the loaves and the fishes? There's one word, and you'll see it on the screen. This one word is compassion. Somebody say compassion. If you know anything about me, it's in our motto statement. We have a passion for God, and we have compassion for people. And this morning on Mother's Day, I want to bring to you a message of compassion. I want us to dissect and analyze and look at the very compassion of Jesus. Even on the cross, we see the compassion of Christ. He's bearing the weight of the world. The Bible records every sickness and disease was laid upon him. He had the sin of all humanity. All the bad stuff that Jay does was on Jesus. He had the sin of all humanity on his shoulders. He's in excruciating pain. He's had beatings that you cannot even compare. You've heard the phrase, I'll beat you within the inch of your life. He was literally beaten to almost an inch of his life. I've heard a sermon before. He could have gave up the ghost at the post. He could have gave up the ghost at the whipping post. But Jesus, bearing of the weight of the world, demonstrates true compassion. And you may be amazed to find the recipient of that compassion. Out of all the great lessons taught on the cross, we don't hear this lesson taught very often. Are you intrigued? Do you want to know? Are you excited? Or are you just thinking about ice cream this morning? Look at John 19. I want you to see this. This is an amazing display of the compassion of the Lord on the cross. Think of everything he's going through. Jesus saw his mother. Somebody say mother. This, by the way, is what I call the very first Mother's Day. This is the very first Mother's Day. I want you to catch this now. Jesus is, where, where is Jesus right now? He's on the cross. He's not just messing around. 
People don't want to hear I love you. People want to see I love you. Let's be that church, ladies and gentlemen. If you have compassion, you will make a great difference. If you don't have compassion, you'll be greatly indifferent. And the word indifferent just means you don't care. You don't notice. The, 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 the hurting and suffering of others doesn't do anything to move you or compel you to action. Compassion says, I'll go the extra mile with a smile. Compassion is this. The more we grow, the more we grow in our passion for God, the more his compassion for people will flow out of us. The more I grow in my passion for the Lord, the more his compassion for people will flow through me. That's how, honestly, I can tell you if I'm close to the Lord or not is if I'm flowing in that divine compassion. Now, it doesn't mean you just walk around crying all day like Richard Simmons. Can I have an amen, okay? We're not talking about that. But we're talking about something on the inside of you has to click when you see a need. And let me just say this. What grieves you is what leads you. What grieves your heart may be your assignment to fix. I'm speaking to somebody this morning. You see something, and every time you see a woman abused at a shelter, it breaks your heart. That may be your assignment to minister. Let that passion lead you in your calling. Well, I don't know what I'm called to do, Pastor. I don't know what my calling is. What breaks your heart? What makes you cry? What touches you? What gets you going in the morning? What, if you could pick any assignment in life to fix and any problem to solve, what is that problem? That may be something that God is calling you to do. As a church, I don't want to be known just by great programs, and I don't want to be known by just great preaching. Some of you are saying, well, we got that one covered, praise God. I don't want to be known by just great programs or great preaching. We want to be known by great compassion because that's what Jesus was known for. So real quick, in just the next few minutes, I want to give you five characteristics of Christ's compassion. Write these down. I call this, uh, Brother Dave, I call this champion compassion. Champion compassion. Let me give you five characteristics. We're going to smoke through these really really fast. Number one, love liberally. Love liberally. Let's look at this scripture in Matthew 22 and verse 37. You know it has been said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's passion for God. Look at the next verse down in verse 38. This is the great and foremost commandment. Verse 39, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we must love God. We must love people. We must serve people. When we love God, we love people. Say this when we say, when we love God, we love people. Let me just say this because I'm feeling ornery. So, and I got the microphone. And if I don't like it, we can edit it off the recording and nobody will ever repeat it. Can I have an amen? But listen, if your religion teaches you that blowing up people is the way you honor God, you've got it wrong. You don't know the one true living God because God, the closer you get to God, the more you love people, the more compassion you have for people, not the more you want to blow them up. That's a good place to say amen. Up here all by myself. Look at John 13, 35. Well, I've been in church all my life, praise God. I taught Sunday school for 32 years. Praise God. Well, dude, that's good. You need to do that. That's awesome. But look what the Bible says. We, I don't know that you're a disciple because you come to church. I don't know that you're a disciple because you teach Sunday school. I, now, those are all good things to do. I don't know that you're a disciple even just because you give tithe and offerings. 
How do I know that you are a disciple? What is the mark? What is the litmus test of a disciple? The Bible says in John 13, 35, by this. Somebody say, by this. All men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's why I love Miss Mary Faulkner. We don't brag on her enough, but she comes early in the morning and sets up all of our snacks and all of our coffee. Not just so we have snacks and coffee, but it's a way she demonstrates love for you. Can we encourage the awesome Miss Mary this morning? She does so much more than that. When the worship team comes early and serves, and even our ushers, and uh, I'm so thankful this morning for Trey Lawson and Tom Lawson and uh, Chad. They came early, and Joseph is gone, and we still set everything up. It's a miracle. Can we encourage those guys this morning? They do that, but not because they're getting paid. They do that because they have love for one another. So you say you're a follower of Christ. You say you're a disciple of Christ. Prove it by your love. Somebody say prove it. I told you I was feeling honorary this morning. So real quick, I want to give you under this sub point, this is a little sneaky, but I want to give you seven levels of compassion, okay? Real sneaky. Under point one, there's seven sub levels of compassionate love. Rinkum likes that. That's really sneaky. Pull them all up at one time, Jared. I want you to see this. Let me give you seven levels of compassionate love. This is how we love. This is how we do this. Number one, we love verbally. We love verbally. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you. Well, I tell you what, when my little kids, Ava and Noah, are at odds with one another, I make them say, I love you. And Noah's like, I love, I love, I love, I love you. That's what he does, you know, just like that. I'm like, Noah, say it. Say you love your sister. He's like, I love you, sister. And I say, you didn't mean it. Say it again. He's like, I love you, sister. And I'm telling you, we need to express our love verbally. I love my grandfather. He's gone on to be with the Lord, so I can tell on him. But one day I said, Granddad, true story. I said, Granddad, why, why don't you tell Mamaw that you love her? And he may have been kidding. I don't think he was, but he may have been. He said, son, I, t I told her when I married her, I loved her. And if anything changes, I'll let her know. How <laughs> I many know we need to tell those every day when I come in? I love my kids, and I'll talk to them, and I'll say, hey, kids, I'm home. But, boy, I'm going right to that woman right there because I need my hug. Can I have a hug right now? Can I have a hug? No side hug. No side hug. We're married, praise God. You, now, if you're going to hug my wife, you sidestep hug, praise God. Can I have an amen? You A-frame. Amen. Don't you be hugging my wife. That's my wife. But we need, we, need, we need physical love. We need physical contact. I love this one, patiently. Doesn't 1 Corinthians 13 say, love never gives up? So many family in this room today, you love that woman of God that's going through this program, and you've loved them patiently and given, given an extended patience. Doesn't the Bible say, love never loses faith, love is always hopeful? I got a little bit of a problem with somebody that never sees hope in anything. Debbie Downer all the time. The Bible says love is always hopeful. Well, there's no hope. I believe there's hope. Come on, amen. God's love endures every circumstance. God's love never fails. So we need to love patiently. Number four, we need to love attentively. It means we need to be looking. We need to be watching. We need to be assessing. We need to be saying, is my relationship okay? I will ask my children. When I tuck them in sometimes in the evenings and lay down with them, I'll, I'll tell them, I, I want to be a good dad. 
And I'll say, is there anything else, I'll say, is there anything else that I can do to be a better dad? And sometimes they say, well, we need seven trips to Disneyland a year. Well, I'm just a bad dad, praise God. <laughs> but I'll ask him, what can I do to be a better dad? I'll ask her. Now, if you ask, you better be willing to change and adapt. Now, we're not living out of someone else's head, not letting other people control us and manipulate us. You understand that. But a good heart. I'll ask Tara, what, what can I do to be a better husband? So far, she hasn't thought of anything that I can do to be a better husband. I'm teasing there. Can I have an amen? Jazz, that was not that funny. Watching, waiting, looking. Doesn't the Bible say in Proverbs 22 and 9, he with a generous eye is blessed? I love the scripture Pastor Michael shared this morning. We're blessed to be a blessing. He with a generous eye is blessed. We need to, we need to love gratefully. Now, what do I mean here? Meaning we, the, the Bible, we read Jesus, they said he even does things well. He does things with excellence. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But notice this here. We need to love gratefully, meaning, meaning I'm so thankful that I'm in a position to love you, and I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity to help you. I mean, oh, I've, I have my children go out and help me in the yard sometimes. Sometimes they do it gratefully, and sometimes they just do it. It's, we're not loving people. We're not showing compassion to people because we have to. We're loving people and showing compassion because we get to. We get to. We do it gratefully. It's our privilege and our honor to allow God's love and his compassion to flow through us as a church. He's could have fl he could flow through anybody. He could flow through any church, but he's choosing to flow through us, and I'm grateful for that. Generously, we need to love generously. We need to put our money where our mouth is. Sometimes we actually have to open up the wallet and give. I was so proud of my son Noah this morning. I don't know what he wants. He must want something. because, <laughs> But he came up to me today and he said, Dad, this is so sweet. He's eight years old. He said, Dad, I've got a dollar. He said, is there anything you want in the vending machine? I can buy it. We can split it. Wasn't that good? What do you want, son? No. <laughs> I was so blessed by that, that he would think about me in that way. We've got to love generously. Now, you can't let someone be a leech and take advantage of you. Can I have an amen? I mean, you know, those people just suck, praise God. Hallelujah. Leech, leeches, you get it? Okay. All right. Okay. Am I in trouble? All right. We've got a vacuum at home, and that thing really sucks, man. Oh, come on! Bunch of religious holy people out there. We got to love. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all day. Thank you. We want to love verbally, physically, patiently, attentively. We want to love gratefully. We want to love generously. See why you should take notes? And then we want to love honorably. Remember Jesus pulled the man away? Remember he pulled him to the side? He didn't want the man embarrassed. We need to, we, when we love, we can't love from a position of, I'm up here. I have it all together. I'm better than you. I'm in a better situation than you. Oh, you poor little helpless thing. Let me throw a little something at you and help you because that's not how we love. We love with honor. We love with dignity. I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. And his name is Jesus. So real quick, I just want you to see these. Jerry, go ahead and pull up all five. I'm not going to have any time to go through these. But I want you to see all of them. Here's how we love through this passage. And I, I had so much good stuff planned on all these scriptures. But you'll just have to trust that they were great. I might blog. I've never blogged, but I might blog this. Maybe we'll send it out or write it down or something. We want to serve 
selflessly. This is how we love our mamas, our families, our church. This is how we love the lost and hurting and broken among us. We can't just say it. We have to do it. We have to put compassion in action. We have to give generously. We talked about that. We have to pray persistently. I do want to look at this scripture, Colossians 4, 2, and 3. We need to pray for opportunities to be a blessing. We're to be earnest, unwearied, steadfast, and at the same time, pray for us that God may open a door. God may open a door to us for the word so we can proclaim this mystery of Christ, the Messiah. So he says, pray that God would open a door of compassion for others. This is a PowerPoint for life. Don't make a living, make a giving. And God will take care of your living. I'm not making a living. I'm making a giving, and God will take care of my living. Last one is walk in the excellent way. Walk in the excellent way. And I want you to see this PowerPoint for life as Pastor Randy comes to help us close this out. I want you to see this PowerPoint for life. Compassion shines the brightest when it's wrapped in excellence. They said, oh, Jesus does everything well. He does things in an excellent way. And if you read here in the Amplified Version, it actually says this. It says he's done things excellent and honorable. So when we show compassion, when we show love, when we demonstrate God's love for humanity, let's do it the best we can. Do you know what excellence is? Excellence is, has nothing to do with what you have. Excellence is doing the best you can with what you have. Excellence is doing the best you can with what you have. And Jesus loved in an excellent way. So here's the conclusion. Champion compassion that we see in the life of Christ is simply this. Love, serve, give, pray, and walk it out and do it the best you can. We can be, we can be agents of compassion and we can see change in our world. Isn't that good news? Amen. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, just to focus in. I want to ask kindly, no one moving around if possible, unless you have a ministry assignment. You may be here this morning and you, you say, Pastor James, you've been sharing about God's love. I've heard over and over again today about God's love and his compassion. But you feel like you are unworthy for the compassion of the Lord, and you are. You are unworthy for God to extend his compassion and so am I I am unworthy because of my sin and my own shortcomings I'm reminded of the scripture that says when I was a sinner I believe it's Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 when I was a sinner Christ died for me meaning he was willing to pay the ultimate price for my freedom in him when I didn't have my act together when I didn't have it all together when I was messed up in my sin and away from him, Christ knew that and he still chose to die and give his life for me. And the Bible says on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And the book of Romans declares that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on Jesus will receive compassion. If you're in this house this morning and you've never given your life to the Lord, or you know what, it's been a really long time and you've walked away from God and you're ready to come back to the Father. Remember the story in the Bible of the, the man that received his inheritance and he went and spent it all. He wasted it. He blew it. And he was eating slop from the pigs. 
eating and taking care of the hogs. And he said, oh, I would be better off to be a servant in my father's home. And he went back to his dad just to say, can I be a slave? And the dad, the Bible says, ran, ran to him. And he said, you are not a slave. You are a son. And our heavenly father is a running and loving God. Yes, stop sinning. Yes, put your past behind you. Yes, follow God. But God is so compassionate toward you. If you want to make it right with the Lord today, if you do not know tonight, if you were to die, if you would go to heaven or hell, let us pray with you. Make that decision today. On the count of three, just signify yes by raising your hand. You see, we have to make a public confession of our faith. It's not something you just do in the back room in a closet somewhere. We have to publicly confess Jesus is Lord. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father. You say, Pastor, I'm ready to make that public confession today, either for the first time or I'm ready to renew that commitment to Christ. On the count of three, slip up your hand. One, two, three. Yes, got a brave young lady over here. Yes, a brave young lady over here. Who else? Amen. Everybody stand on your feet. I want you to say this with me, say it out loud. We've got some awesome women who said, you know what, I'm surrendering my life to Christ today. Grab the hand of your neighbor, and I want you to pray this as loud as you can and with all of your heart. All I'm doing, friends, is I'm giving you the words, but you've got to put your heart with them, okay? Let's everybody in the room say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for compassion. And I repent right now of my sins. I turn away. Sin and Satan, I turn from you. Lord Jesus, I turn to you. I thank you that I got a fresh start. I thank you that I'm made new on the inside. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be a witness. I declare I'll live for you. I'm saved in Jesus' name. Can we give God a great hand of praise this morning? God is so good. He's so faithful. Now let's pray one more time if we can close our eyes again. You're in this room and say, Pastor James, I would really love to flow in compassion and frankly, I want to repent of not allowing God's compassion to flow through me. But you're saying, I'm making the decision today to be a vessel, to be a conduit of the love and compassion of God to flow through me like never before. Or you may be in this house and you may say, I love, I've got compassion, but I want to turn it up. I want to take it up a notch. I want to do greater things for God. Would you just slip up your hand? Amen. Let's all lift our hands all over this building. Gail, come and pray for us. And when we're dismissed, we want everybody to go out in the lobby here outside and get ice cream and hang out and have fun. But Gail's going to pray. Let's lift our hands to heaven and let's receive this morning the compassion of our Christ. Thank you, Lord. Dear Lord, we're so thankful for what you've done for us. And we thank you, Father God, that you gave your only son to be the sacrifice, to be the perfect sacrifice and to bear our sins. Lord God, when we have a revelation of our sins, it's more than we can stand. Lord, it breaks us inside when we see how we've failed and how we've sinned against you and the things that we've been uh, coerced into doing by Satan. But Lord, every sin, every sin, 
imaginable and unimaginable was on your son Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you that you made a way for us through Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we thank you that you did just that. We thank you for that compassion for the lost. Lord, it, it reminds me of how we are as mothers. Lord, as much as our children may do wrong, as much as they, Lord God, uh, may aggravate us or, or hurt our hearts because that they reject us in some way, Lord, we're still mothers. We love them. We have compassion on them. And we will always reach out to them, Lord God. And we thank you for loving us in that way and putting that love in our hearts. And we just give you glory. Bless every mother here. Bless those who want to be mothers and can't be. There are many today, God, whose hearts are broken because they could never bear a child. But, Lord, we can be mothers to one another. We can love. Lord, as you fill us with compassion, we just pray for every child here to know the price that's been paid, not only by their mothers, but because of Jesus. And we love you, and we will praise you this week, and we will live for you, and we will love and be filled with compassion, and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord.